and welcome to the weekly Bundaberg Now podcast. I'm Dana McGackers from Bundaberg Regional Council. In today's program, we'll launch into the third instalment of our interview with Paul Cochran about his podcast series on the children's backpacker Hostel Fire 20 years ago. We'll also learn about the Bundaberg Jobs Commitment, Arts Bundy at Home, the history of Queen's Park and reading for pleasure. But first, here's Michael Gorry with the news headlines. Thank you, Dana. Last weekend saw the official opening of many Bundaberg region tourism operators and visitor information centres. Bundaberg Tourism Chief Executive Catherine Reid said it was a busy weekend. Across the first 72 hours of reopening the three visitor information centres, we welcomed over 210 guests through our doors and responded to more than 50 phone calls and emails as visitors flocked in from around the state. While it was predominantly uh, southeast Queenslanders who made the short trek north, the Bundaberg Tourism team also fielded calls and social media inquiries and comments from across the nation. Humpback whales have started swimming through Bundaberg region waters on their annual migration. The team at Lady Musgrave Experience are preparing for another amazing year with whale watching tours starting on the 5th of July. Whale watchers are welcome, of course, but the state government says boaties and recreational water users should not get too close, otherwise they risk penalties or injury. Jinjin's newest enterprise, the Harvest Hostel, will welcome its first guests on Tuesday. The hostel will cater mainly to the backpacker market, which provides essential labour to local farms. The $2 million facility began accepting bookings this week and has capacity for up to 144 guests. Bundaberg Region Mayor Jack Dempsey says the hostel will boost the Jinjin economy. The accommodation capacity of the hostel will benefit uh, local traders right across the Jinjin area. It's a major step forward in providing essential infrastructure for backpackers who are critical in supporting local farming enterprises. For more local news, visit BundabergNow.com. Thanks, Michael. We're joined again this week by Paul Cochran a former local journalist who covered the Childers Backpacker Hostel Fire 20 years ago and has produced a podcast series to tell the full story. Paul, we've talked about what prompted you to produce a series, but how did you go about interviewing people from all over the world? Yeah, it was challenging to, to, uh, to get access to people, I guess. Um, what, I, what I did find was people were very guarded and very private about Childers and and rightly so and to a to a large extent I was and the people in the similar line of work to me were very guarded about their their lived experience with Childers as well. It's a you know it's um a deeply uh, a story which impacted us all very deeply and it still sits with us. So look, initially it was a thought and and it probably this project has ended up being far grander and far bigger than probably I initially envisaged, but. I think it's landed at a point where where it was warranted. Um, we in the media game we talk about give it what it deserves, and I think eighteen episodes of a podcast is what this deserves, and um, and that really continued to evolve as more people were prepared to tell their story. Um, obviously, social media, which didn't exist back then, exists now, and there's the opportunity to reach out to people. Um, a lot of people have actually um, got in touch with me since the podcast has come out who actually didn't reply at the time and and acknowledged that they received the messages but just couldn't bring themselves to open that door on that chapter in their life and that's 
that's their prerogative and it's their story to tell at their own, you know, at, at their own pace. But um, they feel like the podcast is actually lift some of the weight off their shoulders. But the people who did participate, I had to build, I had, I really had to earn some, earn some trust with them and, and develop, develop a rapport. But what I found was having been there myself earned me some credibility um, with those people who participated and they understood that I understood what they were going through. And that was important because uh, it was a horrific ordeal. So reaching out to people, there's a lot of phone conversations. Um, you know, I, for example, um, David O'Keefe, who's the brother of Julie O'Keefe, a young lady from Ireland who lost her life in the fire. David and I, before we even sat down and did anything around um, around doing an interview for this project, we went and had a lot of beers one night um, just at a pub just to get to know each other and so he could feel very comfortable with me. And I felt that was really important. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, we've become friends and, you know, and we keep in touch. And I think, I think it was around my own integrity and my credibility and earning the trust of people. And I never once took that for granted. I'm extremely humbled and, and um, feel very fortunate that these people have felt like they were comfortable to open up to me for this project and tell their story because it's a very personal story that obviously needed to be told. But, you know, some of the backpackers have said to me, you know, since their story was told, They've, they've actually felt like this giant weight is off their shoulders for the first time in 20 years and that is uh, that is really beautiful to hear and it's um, you know it's something I'm very proud of actually. Thanks Paul. Join us again next week for the final installment of our interview with Paul. I'm now joined by Ben Arta, the Executive Director of Strategic Projects and Economic Development here at Council, who's going to share with us about the Bundaberg Jobs Commitment. So Ben, what can you tell me about this great initiative? Well, the Bundaberg Jobs Commitment is really about how we as a community tackle the, the, the age-old problem we've had, had in Bundaberg around uh, youth unemployment. We have one of the highest youth unemployment rates in Australia and the Bundaberg Job Commitment is specifically about addressing that, that issue in our community. Um, there's a perception that our high unemployment rates caused by a lack of jobs or a lack of opportunities to training facilities, but in fact, if you look at Bundaberg, we have thousands of unfilled job vacancies right now in those entry-level positions, and we have great education and training facilities. Um, when you look at it, our challenge around youth unemployment is caused by complex social and economic factors that have le- left many of our youth completely disengaged from education, work, and future opportunities. So we, in Bundaberg, we have 32% of young people below the age of 15 don't have a parent going to work. At the moment, we have about 10,000 Bundaberg residents that we would call disengaged, and they're residents that aren't employed, uh, they're not actively seeking work, they're not in education, they're not carers, um, they're not in any other uh, cohort where they're actively participating in our community, uh, so they're like they're, they're idle. Uh, of that 10,000, about 3,500 are youth age, so they're, they're um, youth that are between the ages of 15 and 24, uh, and this is specifically the cohort that we're trying to attack with the Bundaberg Jobs Commitments around that, that getting that, that cohort of 3,500 um, young people engaged uh, in life in the community. So that, that's the problem we're addressing, and, and the solution really is actually not that, not that complicated when you think about how do we address this issue of um, young people being disengaged and uh, um, it's really not a lack of jobs, it's about engagement with youth and the Bundaberg Jobs Commitment is, is looking at how do we engage youth early on at the right times. What the research shows us from around the world is that 
The best way to do that, um, to get young people engaged, is through employer-led opportunities. So uh, the research shows that if you can get a young person in that age group, a small number of positive exposures with an employer, the right time and the right setting, um, that their chances of going on and being employed and having and being engaged and leading a life of employment and education increase by about 90%. The number that is often cited in the literature is four positive exposures in a young person's life. And if they can get those positive exposures within the right time, the right setting with the right person, um, that, that the chances of them being disengaged drop off dramatically. The result is that we bring down um, youth unemployment. So how it came about was... I guess through a range of conversations across our community with uh, with schools, with young people and businesses particularly, who told us that um, we, ne- we, we need to solve this problem and we have uh, the resources in our community to solve the problem um, existing. We just need to think of new ways and new approaches to, to address it. We spoke to hundreds of employees in the last year or so and we said, would you be keen to sort of engage with a young person? Not just work experience, but a whole range of other opportunities to engage with young people. No business in, in our community said that they wouldn't be keen to help, but it had to be easy for them um, and it had to be effective. What we've done already is we've been out to um, close to 50 businesses uh, that have already signed up and pledged in writing that they will commit some time and whatever capacity they can to engage with young people uh, in our community, to give them those experiences that they need. Thanks, Ben, for that great insight into such an invaluable project in our region. Now, here's Robert McClellan from Bundaberg Regional Art Galleries to tell us about Hashtag Arts Bundy at Home. The Hashtag Arts Bundy at Home initiative is focused around promoting online arts and cultural events and sessions all in one place. Uh, We're hoping to connect the Bundaberg region's arts community, encouraging opportunities for artists' employment, and to work together as a community to plan for recovery after the pandemic restrictions are fully lifted. There are a range of opportunities for artists being promoted through Arts Bundaberg, but I want to particularly focus on our series of free webinars that we're developing. They're called the Ideas and Conversations theory uh, series. So industry leaders around the country and locally will provide sessions to support community with ideas and strategies for personal and also industry recovery. Our topics are going to include the art of positivity, industry crisis to recovery, and also business thinking. So we'll also be hosting a live community panel at the end of the series to ground these broader conversations back to our region and to understand how we can embed these recovery methods to best support our local arts industry here in Bundaberg. As I said before, there are a range of paid opportunities for artists, including recording new music, um, running online workshops or performances, and uh, also arts artist residencies at home. The expression of interests for these close on Thursday the 25th of June, and the idea is that it is a quick turnaround. So the application and assessment process will happen all within a few weeks. So get online today at artsbundaberg.com.au and check out our arts, hashtag Arts Bundy at Home campaign. You'll find a direct link to this on our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Robert, for walking us through the opportunities available for the arts community. Now, I'll hand over to Carl Moller and Rebecca Blakemore, who will share with us the history of Queen's Park. 
My name is Carl Moller and I'm the coordinator of Botanic and Arboriculture Services with Bundaberg Regional Council. Carl, where can people find Queen's Park and how can they access it? Queen's Park is right behind the Bundaberg Base Hospital. Uh, you can get to Queen's Park from Hope Street or from next to the Talon Bridge, right along the river. What do you think makes this park so popular? I think this park is so popular because it's got beautiful views. You can stand right next to the Burnett River and look out over the water. Um, it's a very popular place for people to go fishing. Um, it's uh, lots of shade, so in summer it's a great place to, to keep cool. Um, and there's some really good facilities here. There's um, seats, picnic tables, a swing, and it's a popular place um, for people to go running. There's a park run held here quite regularly. Why is it called Queen's Park? Ah, well, uh, a lot of towns and cities in Australia have a Queen's Park. It's actually named after Queen Victoria, who uh, reigned the British Empire for 63 years, from 1837 right through to 1901. Um, that was before Australia became officially um, a Commonwealth, so we were a colony, a colony of Queensland, a colony of New South Wales. So um, it was a really big deal for people back then to honour the Queen uh, in, in this way, and that's why they named it Queen's Park. Now, we're surrounded by lots of big, beautiful trees. Are all of them native? The majority of trees in this park are all native. They definitely are. And on top of that, most of the trees are the original trees uh, that were growing in this area before settlement. So Bundaberg was surrounded by a rainforest called Wungara Scrub, um, and we've got over 200 different kinds of trees, uh, rainforest trees mostly, in this park. Uh, some of them are very, very old. There's one tree here uh, called Ivory Wood, which I think is at least 300 years old. Uh, and there's some very big Morton Bay figs, which would have to be at least over 200 years old. So, yes, they're certainly lovely, beautiful trees in this park. I understand that Queen's Park is on the local heritage register. What can you tell us about its history? Uh, the Queen's Park's got a very interesting history. Um, Bundaberg was created in 1860 um, and very early on in the formation of the town people wanted to set aside a botanical garden. So uh, Queen's Park is sometimes referred to as the old gardens, the old botanical gardens. Um, and back then if we look at some newspaper articles from the time uh, we can see where people wanted to have uh, to leave the scrub intact without destroying the numerous pretty trees and vines which form this handsome pumper of indigenous vegetation. That's a quote directly from a newspaper article in the 1880s. So the reason it's on the Heritage Register is that it really is part of Bundaberg's history. Um, back then, people were saying that um, they wanted to make one of the prettiest parks in the colony uh, when we were still a colony of Queensland. Um, and uh, the mayor at the time was praised for watching over and supervising the establishment of Queen's Park. Uh, one person wrote in 1895 that the mayor was seen determined to give lungs to our town again. Uh, so it's a very important part of Bundaberg's history. What does the future hold for Queen's Park? Well, in the future, we need to plant a lot of trees in the park because in the 2013 flood, uh, the, the damage uh, was caused to a lot of the older trees. Uh, the trees are getting quite old anyway, um, so as the trees die, we need to replace them. Um, and the other thing we're doing in this park is uh, people love to, to come here and park their car underneath the trees. We need to make sure that they're healthy so that uh, limbs don't drop on top of uh, people's cars and cause damage. So we are putting some bollards around some of the trees and a lot of mulch just to look after the tree's health uh, and make sure that people don't uh, have any problems with falling branches.
Thanks, Carl. It's been great learning about Queen's Park with you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Carl and Rebecca. What a fascinating look into the history of such a wonderful place. Now, I'm joined by Jala Beecham, the Youth Services Librarian with Bundaberg Regional Libraries. Jala, you're talking to us about reading for pleasure. What does that mean? Stephen King once said that books are a uniquely portable magic. This, to me, is so true. In all areas of my life, I find books to be wonderful and magic, and I've seen the magic that it can bring to people's lives. So today I'm going to be talking about the different forms that reading for pleasure may take. You may be thinking, yes, I definitely read for pleasure and I know how I read for pleasure. Or you might be thinking, I don't read for pleasure. I wouldn't choose to read for fun at all, ever in my life. But you may resonate with one of these different forms. So I will delve into them a little bit for you. The first one is play or immersive pleasure. And this is something that is very true to me. I love when a book picks me up at the beginning and spits me out at the other end. It's that escapism, that ability to leave your reality for a little bit in a fun way and delve into somebody else's reality for a bit. The other one is intellectual pleasure. So intellectual pleasure is when a reader engages in figuring out what things mean or how they have come about and why. It's really those those issues or that ideas that you want to explore that little bit deeper. There's reading for social pleasure. So it's when a reader really wants to relate to authors or characters or other readers by exploring their, that character's identity and the pleasure that develops from the capacity to experience the world from other perspectives. There's reading for work pleasure. Yes, that's actually a thing. So it's when you're reading to upskill, to delve into that um, understanding or find a new tool on how to function in that workplace or skill up in a certain uh, form or function for your workplace. Then there's the inner work pleasure. So that's the last form that reading pleasure can take. And this is not in any order. This just happens to be last on the list. So inner work pleasure is about when the reader is really wanting to explore their themselves, really. So it's about um, looking at deeper connection, looking at striving to be something more or, or the best version of yourself. It's that sort of immersive reading that happens. Really, reading for pleasure is something that should be considered a valuable part of our week, our days, ideally our days, but our week if, if we're super busy. Because it's not just kids that benefit from reading regularly. It's really at all stages of our life that we can find something new, something magical, and something that resonates with us that gives us that opportunity to escape for a little bit, whether that's intellectually escape, whether that's to socially escape, whether that's to escape deeper into yourself for a bit. It's all absolutely vital when it comes to building some of that skill, that language, that knowledge in a way that's free and easy and accessible. So I urge you, if you haven't read For Pleasure lately, pick up a book. You might enjoy it. Thanks, Jala. That's it for today. 
We hope you enjoyed today's program and that you tune in next week for more news and stories from our wonderful Bundaberg region. Bye for now. Thank you.